This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for listening for another to another episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Today, I want to talk about email marketing. What works, what doesn't work, especially as it relates to design. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of testing. You guys might remember we had the uh, the email marketing heroes, Rob and Kennedy on the show, they were a lot of fun. They have the email marketing show. And when I asked them about the name, they told me show is because they make it fun. Why not? That's a good goal to have, right? Make it fun. Don't We don't have to take ourselves so serious. So today I'm actually joined by Brandon Walton. He's a 2020 Salesforce marketing champion. Uh, based in the greater Seattle area. And uh, he's an expert on email design and testing things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Brandon, how's it going? Pretty good, Christoph. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk to you about all things email design. And so email design, that's an interesting uh, way to put that already, right? So I, I've done a number of different email campaigns over years, over the years. I mean, one is you have something very well designed and people argue over the images. Should this image be big? No, people make it small. Put it on the right, put it on the left. Have you had those conversations before? I've had those conversations um, before about five or six times today already. And it's only 11, <laughs> 11 20 a.m. Pacific time. So yes, <laughs> definitely. So, so, some <laughs> things never change. They never go or, away. <laughs> they never go away. Is this stock art image of a random uh, blonde lady worth our time? No. Um, so, so I've had those before. And sometimes I like them. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes I think they're a waste of time. And on the other hand, we have like just basic text emails right there's no design it just it looks like an email and in fact currently i'm pretty sure well maybe i shouldn't say all never say all never say never you know those absolutes but but most of my campaigns that i'm currently running are actually text only right mm -hmm. they come from a person they're in a drip campaign they're on a cadence and it's just it's really i mean there's some slight design things and they're like a call to action button but but barely so what, what do we make of this? There's so many options. Is the answer somewhere in between? How do I decide? Designed email, text-only email? Help me out, man. I think what it all boils down to as, as marketers, as business owners, small business owners, is uh, an acronym we all love, and that is called ROI, Return on Investment. And while, yes, it's nice to make sure that people recognize your brand, if you have a logo, if you have a certain style guide or color guides that your brand wants to follow, for example, all of those things are great. But at some point as a business owner, especially as a small business owner, um, which is a space that we're, we're living in, you have to determine is in 
a, an overly designed email giving me that ROI that we need. I see it happen so often where you've got business owners, small business owners, uh, uh, marketing managers for smaller businesses get so caught up in making sure that all of the design aspects are so perfect. And I can appreciate a perfectionist. I love working with perfectionists for a lot of reasons. At some point, there's that ongoing battle between sales and marketing of sales. Get the offer out the door. Get the offer out the door. Get the offer out the door. And marketing saying, well, let's make sure it looks right. Let's make sure it's uh, aligned with our brand. Let's make sure that things are looking, looking correctly. Now, in the world of email marketing, you've got, you've got your marketing funnel. So if we make a big funnel, I think we all know what that looks like, that lovely upside down triangle. You've got the initial outreach stuff where you've got these initial sales emails that go out. From my experience, those are always better as text-based emails. Christoph emailing Brandon. Hey, Brandon, I saw that you were on a podcast talking about email design. Would you like to reach out and learn more? Hey, Brandon, it looks like you're a, a, a marketing manager for company XYZ. Can we reach out to talk more about how we can help you? Very simple text-based marketing. Because at that point, the other thing that we have to consider when we're talking about building these things out, some, some advice for the folks out there is when you're untrusted, most likely your stuff is one, highly probable that it's going to end up in spam anyways. Spam blockers are getting smarter and smarter and smarter every quarter. There's enhancements that are coming out. So the more design and the more fancy we make these things, it's becoming easier for these tools to be able to understand, okay, if it's HTML and a bunch of tables, if I see a bunch of table attributes and a bunch of image attributes, most likely this is marketing email. So we're going to put it into that promotions tab in Gmail or something along those lines. So for initial outreach, definitely. Um, text email, I've seen work a lot better. It gets to the inbox, it gets the point across. And if someone's interested, you have, like you were saying, Christoph, that lovely call to action that gives people the option to, to follow up with you. And then if that call to action goes to a page, you can make that page beautiful. You can do whatever you want on the web page because you've got them on the browser. Um, and then when it comes down to things like promotional announcements for folks that maybe they're already customers, maybe they're already engaged with their brand, you're already a trusted sender, getting a little bit fancier with images, things like that are okay. Because there's a few things that are stacked up against us as marketers when we're looking to get into people's inboxes. One, if you are unknown, and you might see this if you're using Outlook or, or other services like that, you send an email to someone or you receive an email from someone rather, and the first thing that you see there is a, a big box that's empty. There's nothing inside of it. Maybe you've got that image text. This is a picture of two people cheering or something like that, or a woman writing a blog. But what your end users see is just a big empty box unless they check a button to approve images and then they can then they can view the images so if we're spending a lot of time up front for these initial outreach emails these soft touch emails to include a lot of images and a lot of design we're really just increasing our risk to not go to where we want these emails to go yeah absolutely it's very interesting and the other thing how do you how do you feel about this when when it comes to highly designed emails right like it takes time, you know, somebody has to design them. Somebody has to do HTML and all the other stuff. And right. Every time, anything that takes time costs money. Right. So I always joke. I'm like, when I walk into a meeting, there's 10 people and four executives. I say, well, this is a, 
this is an expensive meeting. I'll make, I'll try to make it worth your while. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. When you've got typically you're, you're absolutely correct. When you're looking at um, a design team or an email design team, you typically have someone who is a designer. So let's say a, a talented artist who is a Photoshop whiz can make things look really awesome and really cool inside of Photoshop. Then you'll have someone who is a web developer, someone who has a, some kind of a web development coding background, whose job it is to take this beautiful image that was created by a designer. You know, think of a bunch of fancy gradients and elements floating around inside of there. So you've got a web developer whose job is to take this fancy graphic or, or fancy layout and convert it into code. Um, and then you've got your marketing managers, the people who then take what was built out and typically what they want is to have it in some sort of a template where I can go in as a very non-technical person. I don't need to know how to code, but I can pop into some email builder and I can change a font. I can or ch you know, change the content, maybe swap out an image, and then I can start emailing to our prospects or you know, configure it inside of our marketing automation tool. So those are three people right there. Um, and you know, we're, we're not even including, to your point, like the four or five executives that are the shareholders that are... Uh, there are stakeholders that are overseeing this entire process who have their input and, you know, it, it needs to be aligned left. It needs to be aligned right. We need to have this special font or that special font. It gets expensive really, really quickly. And it goes back to that lovely acronym ROI. Um, is it worthwhile to have all of that design and design time and development time go into an email that could be just as effective if it was a text-based email with, you know, maybe maybe you do the image at the bottom or, or you just keep, you know, keeping it simple <laughs> um, and saving a lot of money. Because <laughs> um, I would say in, in my time of doing this, there are brands out there that do really cool stuff. So I definitely want to acknowledge that, um, you know, if it's a media brand or if you're selling graphics cards. Sure, if you're Newegg.com and you're selling a graphics card, you probably want to show the picture of a graphics card on that uh, on that email. Or if you're Nike, you want to show a picture of those of those Nike shoes. But even if you take a look at how Newegg designs their emails, how Nike designs their emails, if you start taking a look at the elements and where they're laid out and how they're and how they're coded onto those pages, it actually is very simple. And what they're doing is doing very simple things like embedding an image with some supporting text um, in a very easy to follow, easy to read inside of an email format. And on top of that, you're typically getting those emails from Nike, one after you've already opted in, right? Yeah, I, I like running shoes, so I'm subscribed to this running shoes information. So I'm going to trust Nike's um, images every single month. It really depends on what you're doing, um, but you know, getting into the world of overkill and overspending is a very slippery slope, and a lot of people get there really quickly. <laughs> it just becomes more of an uphill battle for your marketers. Yeah, I mean, it's there's so many barriers for marketers today. Anyways, that we should really admit that it's never been harder to stay in front of people. And what's interesting too is you, you know, what you said. You said Nike. I'm like, well, of course I want to see the Nike shoes, right? I want to see the shirts or whatever. But interestingly, we just had Deb Gabor on the show and she talked about irrational loyalty. And when you said that, Brandon, you know what I thought? I'm like, 
really, I want to see the pictures of the Under Armour shoes. I'm an Under Armour guy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it's interesting how that evolves. Um, so is the difference when you use an image? I mean, I do use stock art that's used as the base for design sometimes, especially on the web, mm -hmm. not just a stock art image to use a stock art image. But there's a difference too, right, to having that authentic picture of your product or something you want to show off versus just picking an image of another blonde lady that has nothing <laughs> to do with your company, right? Executives shaking hands, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, um, I, I, absolutely. And I think if, if I can teach, if, if I can um, instill anything on, on your audience, it would be to understand treat your email, treat your emails as if someone is not going to be seeing that image on the other side. Um, or if they were going to see the image, it's going to be something that, yes, I want to see. So if it's an email from Under Armour, and I know it's from Under Armour, and Under Armour is saying, it's our new 5.0 breathable, compact, you know, jogging pant or something like that, that's going to entice you to want to accept images from that person. So if you are a marketer for Under Armour or Nike and you're selling a product that is very visually oriented, then absolutely use the picture. Um, but even on that picture, don't, you know, keep it from, if, if you look at your Under Armour and your Nike images uh, or emails, you know, it's not, you have an image uh, background with text on the foreground that's like, you know, H HTML based text because those are elements that from, uh, uh, mail, mail client, email client to email client, those can display so differently. And then what ends up happening is um, frustration <laughs> because, you know, oh man, we really wanted this to be this special premium font, but we noticed that in Outlook, Outlook doesn't load that premium font. And actually Out Outlook is making the text go below the image instead of inside of the image. So then you go back and you're like, okay, let's redesign this. Let's recode this. We add all of this. If it's Outlook, then you're going to include this. If it's this, then you're going to include that. So you have to really get into adding a lot of stuff into the design. When, from what I have found, you could use one of the out-of-the-box templates and whatever tool that you're using. Have the image of the, of the shirt or the pant or the shoe that you're doing. Nice little header text above. Image, header text below. Think of it very simple. Think of it as like building a website in the year 2000. That is the absolute safest, safest space that you can live in. And then if they click on a button to the call to action, you can take them to your page where you have all of your HTML5 elements floating around and you've got your CSS3 animate and opacity and things. You know, you could do all your fancy stuff there. Um, but putting that in the email just is more, more risk than anything. And most importantly is... It can, it can rack up a price. It can rack up a cost pretty quickly as well, just in the back and forth with the design teams and the development teams and the marketing teams. Um, it adds up really fast. Yeah, and of course, when you have the executives in there, then they are tempted sometimes to put everybody through approval hell, which just adds time right and left. Um, so I have had success too with the just the text emails because um, I, I don't know why. And you can maybe have, give me some insights on that. Uh, but one of my best uh, email campaigns maybe ever was I, I was participating in the Agora Pulse Summit, virtual summit, of course. It, you know, there's I don't think there's any offline events anymore nowadays. But mm. um, and so they gave me the email list after the, the, the thing was over. 
And I sent everybody, literally it was like three sentences maybe, you know, hello, thanks for attending the summit. I didn't even say thanks attending for attending my session. I just said, you know, if, uh, if you missed my session, here's a video. Um, I linked to the video. It wasn't in there. It wasn't embedded, right, or whatever, or a picture. And then it said, my book is currently on sale through today. Click here to buy it. And then, you know, it was on sale for like another day. Contentperformance.online. Not currently on sale, guys, but you can check it out there. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how many people clicked on that link to buy the book, right? And I didn't do anything. I didn't even show them a picture of the book. I didn't do anything. I don't even think I said what the book was about. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. did it work? <laughs> you know, I've got some I've got some interesting theories on that. Um, one, I think with the text-based emails, it does come across, well, it can come across more authentic, uh, especially if, depending on the tool that you're using. That's where we talk about in the marketing automation space or email marketing space, the personalization. An email that just says, even in a very impersonal way, also, hey, Christoph, how are you? It's been a minute since we've connected. I wanted to share my new book, right? That comes across way more authentic and way more real, way more interpersonal of me emailing you, Christoph, as a person where maybe you don't know, did this come from his you know, email blasting tool or is this just a guy that's reaching out to me? Now, with the email marketing tools, you do have to include at the bottom of those emails. Um, you know, If you'd like to unsubscribe, click here. You can get creative textually on how you do that. Just say, Hey, if it's not a good time or, if, or hey, click here if you want to get more information from me. You can, you can get creative on how you include that opt-out option if you're using a marketing automation platform. But when I receive those kinds of emails, it just comes across way more authentic than when you're receiving an email from some big brand that wants to schedule a demo with you, for example, or sell you a book. And it's just this very um, built-out, I would say... Uh, over-designed or just any kind of design, I guess, in this argument would be over-designed. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm getting a message directly from Christoph. Oh, yeah, I remember. I went to his message, and now he's writing to me. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's interpersonal. So I think over-designed emails also can lose some of that personality or some of that, that, personal, that personal feel. And my theory is that's also the reason why sometimes those types of emails um, – for, for that outreach or for that event follow-up type stuff, don't do as well. Now, I think, again, going back to a product release, a product launch, um, maybe a version update, things like that, those look cool. Or if you're you know um, promoting a webinar and you want to share some of the graphical stuff, all of that is fine. And I've seen that work really, really well. For things like outreach, though, there is just something about I received an email from a person. This is a human reaching out to me because they think I'm important enough to reach out to. So that text message goes really far because it reads that way. Yeah, and, and no human designs an email and sends it to you if it's just right. them. <laughs> right. If I'm saying if I'm sending you a hello email, I'm not going to like go in there and do a bunch of HTML and copy that and say, "Hey, Christoph," and flashing lights across the board, across the top, and have a background image of mountains and trees and stuff like that, and say down below somewhere, "Say how are you?" Click here to tell me how you're doing. <laughs> you're just going to look at that. Like, this, right. <laughs> this isn't authentic. This isn't uh, somebody who really cares about me. So I think what you're able to do with text-based emails is just make it feel more real, make it feel more personal, make it feel more. Like what you'd expect to see if you open an email that says, you know, if you, I'm going back to maybe some bad email marketing practices, but if I send an email, Christoph, have you seen this? 
you know, and if it says, hey, Christoph, I just did this thing and I want you to check it out, you would be more, you, you'd be more engaged at that point than if I said, hey, Christoph, have you seen this? And it's some big, you know, built out, colorful, flashy thing. So, um, you know, obviously I sent a couple links in my email and I don't remember if I just had them, uh, if I had the text hyperlink or if I just copied and pasted the URL so you could see where it was going. Um, in today's world, you know, with phishing scams and, and the likes mm. going on, uh, and I actually, I actually got an email the other day and it was, it was, I did not see any typos in there. I didn't see any uh, grammatical errors. And it said, we're looking forward to uh, having you join us. And it said, hello, Christoph. It's so great to have you join the team. We've accepted your application and you can join us and click here to review our policies. And then it was like a short, short, shorted link. It was nobody I've ever talked to. It was a phishing scam. I have no mm -hmm. doubt. Yeah. How, like what are the best practices? Uh, like include the link so people can see where it's going or how, What's the, uh, you know, how, how should companies deal with that? Yeah, I mean, that's, so I, I've, I've got a, 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 a big client right now that uh, just, to be a, uh, just to be a vendor with them, we have to go through regular, like, infosec training. And it's stuff that we know in this space, but it's, you know, before you click on a link in an email, hover over it and see, do you trust that domain? All this basic stuff. And it's becoming more and more of a thing that companies are training their folks for. So if you are doing you know, account-based marketing, uh, people are going to be looking for those links. People might not just click on those links. They might hover over them. I think when it comes to that, if you are legitimate, you don't have to worry as much. Um, there's, there's personnel training that people go through for that kind of a stuff. So the argument of hyperlink versus exposed link, you know, if you were going to be wanting to fish someone, if I really wanted to fish you, Christoph, I would I would put a hyperlink in a real domain. So I would say, you know, check out my podcast at anchor.fm slash C trap and then have the hyperlink, you know, my malicious, I'm going to tear down your system dot, you know, right. whatever. Um, so I think one of the things that we're looking at as marketers are just uh, more um, consumer knowledge. And so that's part of it. Um, but, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I think shorter links do look good um, from from a design perspective, like download my you can download my book here with a link to your book or you can download my book at the following URL. Um, you know, I think is is as long as you're actually not trying to fish, um, as long as your URL is authentic, you should be OK. And, you know, the other thing I noticed the other day, I think it was an email I received out of MailChimp. And I don't know if they were phishing or not, but I clicked the link and, and MailChimp said, are you sure this link appears to be a problem? Mm -hmm. um, so what's interesting is I, I'm, I'm betting MailChimp will get to the point where they just won't let those emails go out, right? I mean, they don't let you send emails if too many people re report you or other mm -hmm. vendors, um, so we'll, we'll see how it evolves, but it's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, other best practices when it comes to text only email, I know I've had success. Actually, I've had success sending the same email like three times. And by the time it was done, everybody opened, had opened it and had done mm -hmm. something, um, within a right cadence, right? Not every day, but, um, there's some time in between. Uh, the other one I've had success with is you send one email 
And then you do the reply cadence, right? The re reply mm. drip campaign a couple of days later and say, hey, just want to make sure you got saw my email. And as much as I hate them myself when I get them, uh, they always seem to work, you know, like 70% open rate and people look at them and, you know, make sure they didn't miss something that they mm -hmm. cared about. Um, so, I mean, those things seem to work. What about those things and, and what other practices should people uh, consider? You know, I would say that the number one practice that you can that you can do and it, <laughs> people listening might not love this, but is. <laughs> Is be authentic. I know it sounds very generic. Be authentic because here's the thing: um, like what you're talking about are practices that become widespread, um, and and they do work, right? Like you send your first email out, and then you send your follow up email in your drip campaign, and you put the re colon with whatever the last title is, and just saying, "Hey, following up to see if you see this." Uh, that does work, or the f, you know, the forward. Um, I've seen those work, and I've seen those work really, really well. What ends up happening with these kinds of trends is soon everyone starts doing them, right? There's so many email marketers out there that everyone starts doing it. So what works great today or what worked great yesterday, eh, it's, there's going to be a totally different trend next year that you know might have different results. Now, that little RE forward trick is, works really, really well because people are like, oh, this is RE. I, maybe I did miss something. I think there's something that 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 prompts mentally, oh, I, I missed something. This person sent me an email and I missed it. And here it is again. As a as a marketing consultant, I am also subscribed to a lot of mailing lists as well. And I'm seeing so much more than that, that it'd be interested to see, you know, how long that's going to work until people just pick up on that kind of like how people pick up on the malicious links. Um, now, the thing with that is I don't think we'll get to a place now this is very speculative. Uh, this is not a promise. I don't think we'll get to a space where MailChimp will say, oh, you know what? Your subject has RE colon in there, so we're not going to allow you to send it. I don't think that's going to happen because it's not malicious, like sending someone to a site that has a virus. But I think it becomes one of those things that the other, the other example I would use is um, there was a lot of studies. There were, there were done like when these massive email marketing tools became more and more popular. There'd be all these consultants and blogs that would say, oh yeah, for the best open rates, Tuesdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, or I don't even remember the exact times, but it's like, think about your, think about when you're sending a B2B email, think about when people's downtime is. And it's, you know, typically people get to work at eight o'clock and they, you know, go through all their work queue and, they have some free time from nine to nine thirty. So there was these studies that came out that said mm -hmm. you should send all your emails from nine thirty to ten or something like that. And what was the resulting trend from that? Well, now every marketer in the world was setting the time of their emails to go out at this exact same time. So all these people who are receiving this marketing are just getting this flood full of stuff. Other things: don't send emails out on holidays. Um, you know, I found when, when I send out a campaign on holidays, like we get much more response because it's somebody, maybe they're just kind of relaxing and they're not getting as much other emails coming in. So now my email got through and I'm able to get Christoph and Christoph signs up for uh, one of my webinars or something like that. There's all these trends and they're always evolving and they're always changing. And there's experts that'll say, I, you know, I had a really good results doing this. So I want to share it with the community. And all of that stuff is awesome and great. But as a marketer, if you're authentic to what your brand is looking to do, 
if you're paying attention to who your customers are, what's working well for your customers, the strategy for Brian and Walton can end up being something very different for Christoph. And that's where I also, even when I approach this design conversation, I always want to say that because if you are working for a brand that is that requires a visual, like if you're selling artwork and you're auctioning off some artwork, <laughs> maybe you do want to put a picture of the artwork in the email. Um, so things change from person to person. Um, but I think a big part of it is finding out what works for you. And it's good to be knowledgeable about the trends and stuff that's working for other people and maybe incorporating some of that stuff. Uh, but as a marketer or marketing manager, so much of this is uh, creating your own path based off of what's working for you and what you're doing. Absolutely. And, you, you know, Robin Kennedy, when they were on the show, uh, they said about the whole send time thing, uh, maybe send it at 702, 708, 715, mm-hmm. 7, you know, don't always pick that exact time. And the other thing, you know, mm-hmm. what I started doing is my podcast. So I publish four episodes currently in a week. Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And everybody says, oh my goodness, why would you publish a podcast on the weekend, even both weekend days? And I'm like, mm-hmm. are you kidding? It's the, they're the highest performing days because nobody else competes with them. Nobody yeah. else publishes them. On Monday morning, you should look at my podcast queue on Monday morning. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like every sports broadcaster's podcast is publishing, every business's podcast, everybody's publishing. You know, mm-hmm. on a Monday or a Wednesday, Wednesday or even worse. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm 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 finding that other thing. So part of what you mentioned too is something that Daniel Murray talked about. I think it was episode 196. Is you have to unlearn things, right? Uh, so now you know what's working, um, and then the second it works, you got to learn something, uh, unlearn it, and learn something different, right? And, and and do a different strategy. I mean, that's is that true to an extent? Always evolving, always evolving. Absolutely. There's this game of cat and mouse between email marketers and email security. And it sounds bad, um, (laughs) but you're always trying to figure out ways to not go to someone's spam box, to not be quarantined by someone. That's how this whole design thing really came about, right? Because so many people want to do all this stuff inside of emails. And it was just me telling people like, yes, you can do all this stuff. Great. Awesome. Beautiful but you realize you're spending more money getting your emails out there and you're just increasing the chance to go to someone's junk folder. Uh, If you look at Gmail, for example, Gmail is always getting smarter and smarter and smarter. It's it's actually really impressive. Now, they don't share this information publicly. There's no website that you can go to that says, okay, Gmail, how do I 100% guarantee that you're not gonna send me to spam? Because they know, just like with these other email trends, as soon as they release that, every email marketer in the world is just going to switch and do the thing right. So they, they give you kind of breadcrumbs and that's part of the reason why for me, I subscribe to a lot of different things and look at the behavior and really pay attention to those messages that come across. And that's how I craft my own strategies and recommend my own strategies for customers. But you know, if you, if you rewind even 10 years ago, such, um, you know, such levels of security, weren't implemented. So it was literally, you have your domain, you, um, you know, have an email server, you authenticate to that email server. You could pass a lot of stuff through there you know, and, and it would stick. It would go to people's inboxes and it was, you know, people would click on stuff and there wasn't as much security features and, uh, you know, artificial threat detection features that are always constantly learning. Um, but absolutely in today's world, You've got to be evolving your strategy. You've got to be 
uh, changing testing, you know, always testing, like what send times work the best. Is it 702? Is it 718? These one-off strange times. Um, do I post on a Saturday? Is it a text? Do I include a picture? Do I include a link? Do I include a hyperlink or raw link? These are all things that the best thing that you can just do is run your test. And if you're doing a drip campaign, maybe your first test, you do the hyperlink. And then your second test, you do the raw link. And you'll find out which which um, types of messaging resonates best with your buyers. Of course, at the end of the day, there is a fine line, right? I mean, I, I had a digital strategist one time to me say, oh, I had a typo in the subject line, crap. And, and all I could think of saying, how did it perform? And mm -hmm. she says above average, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't, but that doesn't mean we're going to put typos in subject lines by mis right. by on purpose, on purpose, uh, <laughs> all the time. Even though, even though you, you tell me your opinion on this, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure some companies when they send out a mistake uh, email, right? They send an email and then send another email and they say, "We're so sorry, there was a mistake, wrong code or something." Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure some of that is deliberate. They're not. They didn't make a mistake on purpose. They're, they're doing it because they know that second email will perform better. I've thought about that. You know, the, the, the cynic in me has always thought that <laughs> as well. Um, although I've, I've, I've uh, provided consulting for those accounts where I've been on the other side of that coin where, you know, um, uh, someone on the marketing team did accidentally send an email out and then executive team is uh, super upset and really wound up and just say, ah, how could this happen? And so then it's like a kind of cover your tail situation. So they will send out, Hey, apologies. So when I've seen it happen, it's been authentic, but from those authentic scenarios that happen, I've always thought in the back of my mind, like what a great way to just say, Oh, sorry, actually we didn't mean to say it was a 50% discount. It's actually a 45% discount. We apologize. And if you do now, we're going to give you, uh, because it's our See, mistake, we'll give you another $5 off something, right? <laughs> right. Well, I think sometimes you can tell it's not authentic when it says, we made a mistake, click here to find out what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good indicator. Uh, Brandon Walton, thanks for joining us. Hey, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you on the web? Absolutely. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can just search for, for Brandon Walton, um, Cypress Learning. Uh, my company is Cypress Learning. We're a Salesforce partner. So we help uh, small businesses with implementing Salesforce uh, for sales ops and marketing automation. That's probably the best way to find me, LinkedIn and at cypresslearning.com. Fantastic. Brandon, thanks for joining me and thanks for sharing all these insights. Christoph, thanks so much. I had a really good time chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time. Move your content from happening to performing. That's what everybody wants nowadays in content and content marketing and marketing and all those related fields. Check out my new book, Content Performance Culture, the number one new release in the public relations category on Amazon.com when it came out. I hope you take a look. It's available as paperback and Kindle worldwide. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.